Oh, wow. Good evening, everyone. My name is Tish, and I am an alcoholic. I want to thank Kent for asking me to come out tonight, and I would like to thank my friend Wendy, who referred me to your group. Um, I'm very honored that she did that. I don't know why she did that, but nonetheless, um, here I am. Um, I'd like to say that I do this all the time, and I don't have any nerves or anything like that, but I do not do this all the time and I do have a lot of nerves, but what I do when I'm asked to do something like this, I try to bring my higher power into the room and ask for some guidance with my words because it sort of takes any expectations of what I think I should have said or what I think you might want to hear. And uh, at the bottom line is if you're new, welcome. I don't know if, are the newcomers still here? <laughs> oh, hi. Wednesday. Welcome. This is an incredible place and I think the people that took their cakes tonight and Joanna really hit it out of the park. Um, happy birthday to you two guys and Joanna, thank you. And I did tell her she is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> and she is, but I can only say that while only she's here. <laughs> I had an amazing sponsor. She passed away about five years ago and she sponsored about 27 women. And I wanted to be her favorite. And when somebody would say, I'm gonna ask Glenda to sponsor me, I'd say, you better not. Because I, mean, I just, I felt like I needed her more than anyone else. And I actually wasn't kidding. I did not, I did not want to share her. I'm a very, very sick woman. Um, so anyhow, um, my husband and I, thank you, thank you for coming with me, honey. He normally, when we come out, sometimes we'll take turns sharing, but he chose to just sit and relax tonight, which he deserves. You deserve it, babe. Um, we have a home group tonight as well. It's a Sunday night speaker meeting in Covina at the 502 Club. That is where I got sober. That is where I started to build my foundation. And I'm very honored and proud to be from the 502 Club. I think it's a hard knock sobriety. So it's sort of allowed me to pretty much go anywhere in Alcoholics Anonymous and feel comfortable in my own skin. And I like the, the foundation that we, we build there in AA puts me in a place even right now to not compare, uh, to just more or less feel comfortable. And the one thing that I feel all the time at a meeting is like, I am home. The love here is unconditional and everyone's been so nice and thank you for that. Um, it's just a great place to be. And you know, I was actually born in East LA. We had the nicest house in the hood and um, <laughs> When Cheech and Chong came out with that song, Born in East L.A., I'm still dying to sing that from the podium, but I'll wait for another time. Uh, because I wasn't very proud of that. I mean, we did end up moving to Glendora when I was 12, and it was a little bit of a culture shock because I'm going from a community that's mostly, of, you know, Latinas and Latinos and moving to Glendora, which is not that at all. <laughs> um, so I never felt comfortable in living in East LA because we're fair-complected Mexicans and we don't speak Spanish. And I went to Catholic school, my sisters and myself, there's four of us girls, and a lot of the kids in our neighborhood went to public school. And I didn't feel like I fit in at school because I didn't want to be there. I was a tomboy who had to wear a uniform every day, which was a dress. So you know I was very bad in school um, because I was, Alcoholics don't like being told what to do. 
and I wish I'd known back then that I was just an alcoholic and I don't want to come here because I don't want to wear a skirt. But the truth of the matter is I didn't want to go there because I didn't want to behave and I didn't like being hit by nuns and um, I didn't want to leave my mommy. <laughs> um, I feel like <clears throat> some of the things that make me feel different overall just from a small child are and this sounds crazy, there's four girls in our family. My mom and dad did their best to raise me and my sisters, and I'm the second born. And my dad was very successful in the whole construction world, and uh, I was supposed to be a boy. And as you can see, I'm not a boy. Um, but I, I did try to be one for a little while. I didn't, and he did not do this intentionally, and I don't think that people do this intentionally. Like if a woman's pregnant, what do you want? A healthy baby. If you ask a man, I want a boy, you know, and so my dad said that a lot, and it, from an early age, from a very, very early age, I just didn't feel loved, and I didn't feel like I was who my dad wanted me to be, and I know that sounds like I'm playing a violin here, but that's really the truth, and I don't think he did that on purpose, but it did affect me in a lot of different ways. And uh, so basically I did everything that I could to be my dad's son. I learned how to do construction, hang up the Christmas lights on a rainy, windy night. Uh, I learned how to you know, play sports. I tried to hang out with him on job sites. He let me hold his alcohol while he was drinking and driving and I would go with him everywhere. <laughs> and um, what happened was uh, he ended up in that drinking life that he chose. Um, he never left my mom, but he did have a lot of affairs. And so when we moved to Glendora, I wasn't allowed to be his buddy anymore. So I'd wake up really early in the morning, maybe like 4.30 before he'd scoot out of the house on a Saturday morning so I could catch him, so I could go with him, and he'd still manage to sneak out. So every Saturday morning for a l quite a while, I'd wake up and watch David and Goliath, and I'd watch um, the roller derby girls and um, gospel music. And that makes me a very weird person. <laughs> um, but I do love gospel music, and I don't like roller derby, and I hate David and Goliath. Um, so, <laughs> but I did whatever I could just to get my way. And the truth is I wanted to be with my dad, but I liked being around the alcohol. Um, when I was little, supposedly I stole my first beer when I was two. And I come from a family that entertains a lot. and. When I was little, I would like to be around the drinking and I'd like to hear the clanking of the ice and smell the cigarette and the laughter and the music. And from the time I could remember, I wanted to be there and not where I was at. And I was always searching for how I could get to that place where the, clanking, the ice is clanking and I could smell the cigarette smoke and hear the laughter and listen to good music. And, um, because of that being one of my goals, not to graduate from high school and go to a nice college, uh, my goal was to drink. And I was really, really pushy with my parents about letting me drink. Really pushy. And so by the time I was 12, they bought me my first six pack of Lowenbrow. And they said, you can drink this, but you cannot come out of your room. Don't talk to us and stay away from the stairs. <laughs> so I did. Um, I actually had my first real drink per my dad at my grandparents' house on Thanksgiving, he gave me a tall can of Bud because I wanted to drink. And he said, get to that room, drink that beer, and don't come out unless you finish it, or I'm going to, you know what you, or like beat the daylights out of me. My dad was one of those guys that if you say you could do something, you better be able to do it, or else you're going to pay the consequence. And I could not finish that beer. I thought, 
Budweiser was disgusting. Um, but the truth of the matter is, when I came out of that room, I drank half of it. I didn't give a crap. I mean, <laughs> if I was in trouble, I was trying to do the robot and just like, you know, have fun. And my grandparents and my dad were fighting, and I did not know what the problem was. I had no clue. And now looking back, we have five beautiful grandkids and four children. They're all in their 30s now. If my kids wanted to do that, I, I couldn't even tell you how I would react, but if our grandkids wanted to do that, I would probably have a nervous breakdown. Um, but I just can't see them doing things like that because the truth of the matter is, I got sober when my kids were young and our grandkids have never seen us drink and I have some kids that really don't like drinking. I don't even know if they're really mine. We have two sober kids, one daughter who does, if her beer gets warm, she gets another one which is very frustrating, and um, <laughs> one daughter who just hates drinking. She just hates it. Um, every time she does drink, though, she gets pregnant, so we have a lot of grandkids. <laughs> and I always tell my kids that's how I conceive them. It's not, um, I did not plan. I just drank a lot, and I married my first boyfriend, which was um, I, this guy named Larry, and I married him because he was able to get me very good marijuana, and he had a really nice body, and he was my first boyfriend. He was my first everything. And uh, by the time I was 21 and he was 23, we had four children. We had a, a son first, and a little girl, and twins. And um, when the twins were two, and Kristen was four and Lorenzo was five, he had a bad accident as a result of being intoxicated. And he went to McCarran Airport in Vegas and he tried to slide down the rail, like surf it down and he hit his head and he lost all the oxygen to his brain as a result of that. And today he cannot walk or talk and he can't go to the bathroom on his own. And he's paralyzed on his right side. Um, but part of his brain that was not the best part of his personality still functions very well. I tell you that I married him because he had a nice body and he was able to get weed from Humboldt County. Uh, but. I wouldn't recommend that. That's not a good reason why you should marry someone. Um, you know, he would tell me when we were dating, he hates women, but not me. And I felt special. That's the sad part. Because I was young and I didn't realize that that was a really big red flag. Um, I got married too young. And some of the things that I put, the positions I put myself in because of not really paying attention to some things as we were dating um, caused me to have many, many sleepless nights and it put our children in danger a lot and I couldn't leave or the kids would be taken from me. I was constantly being threatened. And I, I forget to mention this, it's not a big deal, no pun intended, but a big deal. I also, after having my son and my daughter, my second daughter, I, my weight was about 300 pounds. And when you're married to someone who hates women and is unhappy, all that they can say are things like, you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that, I can't believe I married you. I mean, just stuff that people shouldn't say. And uh, the one thing that we did do, though, was drink a lot. We drink every weekend, and then sometimes we dr start drinking on the weekend together, and then Monday night football, and then, you know, there's baseball season and barbecues. We always found a reason to always drink. And then we started to do a few other things that would help us drink a little bit longer. And um, that got sort of pricey. So we switched to different things that would help us stay up longer where you could get more 
for less money because so we were budget conscious um, <laughs> um, because we had four kids but anyways the, the bottom line is we take turns and so when I did my first inventory I asked my sponsor why I was so stupid to stay in a marriage like that and what we came to find out by me doing my writing is that my first husband was my enabler because he did work and every by Wednesday I knew we would be drinking a lot on Friday and then on Saturday and then maybe be hung over on Sunday a little bit but still drink again and then we have Monday foot you know so but we t that's why I did it and it sounds sad that that's a relief for me but it is I mean I didn't if somebody's in an abusive relationship there's reasons behind it and stupidity isn't one of them um, it's just lack of knowledge or not being around people who know how to stand up for themselves and I was taught that if a man ever cheats on you you leave well he never cheated on me he never hit me either he was just very verbal and sexually aggressive and anyways he had that accident when he was 23 and I was 21 and um, or I'm 25 I was 25, he was 27, and we relocated to Vegas for a little while where the accident took place. And what happened was my in-laws were mad at me because they felt like it was my parents' fault because Larry went with my dad to Vegas. It was a 12-hour trip. And I wasn't crying, I wasn't mad, I was sad. I didn't really know the extent of the injury. We get to Vegas, and the first thing that comes to my mind is I can drink and nobody's going to watch me because my husband and I did drink together but he monitored my drinking so I could only drink maybe 18 beers a night without him giving me shit I'm kidding <laughs> so strict <laughs> um, but anyways I could drink and not have anyone looking over my shoulder and uh, so going through all of that trauma and having to relocate our four kids and stay in Vegas for four or five months was kind of like easy breezy. I know that sounds terrible, but I was drinking all the time and nobody was really watching me. And I come from a family, as I mentioned, that drinks a lot. Um, and nobody was really like watching me under a magnifying glass at this point because I was just drinking. Um, we, I stopped doing those other things that allowed us to stay up and drink longer after he had his accident. and. Um, we get him home to California and I'm losing weight now because no one's calling me a fat pig and for some reason when no one's putting you down and you want to do something for yourself you're capable of doing it and my family's saying you need to go out and start having fun um, I'm still taking care of my husband and I don't feel like it's the right thing to do but my in-laws have been fighting me for custody the whole time so I let him have their son and the reason why I did that was because he grabbed our daughter one day when she was in kindergarten and he scratched her really bad and when she went to school the teacher asked what happened and I told her that I explained her dad's disability and stuff and she said it doesn't matter to her if she sees one more injury those kids are all getting taken away from me and so I let him go live with my in-laws and I started to have fun um, working out starting to have more freedom at night. My family was encouraging me to go have fun and needless to say I overshot the mark really quick and I had my first affair I guess you could say outside of my marriage and what happened to me is like I was having such a nice time but I thought this guy is not going to like me. I'm a single mom with four kids and I'm Mexican and, and uh, 
So what I did instead of like say I don't want to do this anymore, I cheated. And then I'd meet someone else and I'd really like them a lot and I think they like me, but instead of telling them that I like them a lot or feel any pain, I would cheat. So I don't have to deal with any feelings whatsoever. And I didn't think that they would care until I got sober and I did some inventory work. I didn't realize that I had literally become the person that my dad was. Um, and that was painful. And one day I was getting ready to go drink. It was about one in the morning and my mom was staying, me, staying with me at this time. And at this point my family's saying, Tish, you need to stop. The kids, school. You have to pay attention to doing the people that are coming in and out of your house. And I didn't care because everyone else could drink, so why are they on my back for drinking? And I was really, really angry at the fact that people did not want me to drink in my family. So the more they would put me down, the more I would drink. I'll show you. Um, I'll practically almost kill myself to get even. And um, one day I was getting ready to go out. It was one in the morning, and I was making sure that my pants were lying, um, this, my slacks were lying perfectly on my shoe, and just like, whatever I was doing, to go to a bar at one in the morning. And my mom looked at me, and she said, you're exactly like your dad. And I didn't really get it at that time, but it was a big blow. Because at this point, one of my resentments, you know, it's easy for us to drink out there when we're justifying our anger and blaming people for why we do the things that we do. If my dad was only home more often, if my dad didn't have all these affairs, if my mom didn't have nervous breakdowns because of my dad's affairs, if my mom didn't start to do cocaine because my dad wasn't watching her and she had all this freedom and he gave her tons of money, like it's everybody else's fault but not mine. And so I'm building like this new wall of friends that I drink with and little by little they're all starting to leave one by one and I think that they're just weak and they can't party the way partying needs to happen. But the truth of the matter is they couldn't watch me slowly kill myself and being a single mom of four kids. And if, even today if I were to meet a mom who was getting really wasted at a party and she had little ones running around the house, I don't really know how I would wrap my head around that. Fortunately, I'm not in those scenarios anymore, but you know, we have this head that can make us crazy if we wanted to sometimes. So I don't really think about those things, but if the tables were turned and I saw that, I would probably be pretty repulsed. And I just thought that everyone stopped loving me. But like I said, the truth is they couldn't watch me keep living the life that I was living. I would, it was entertaining. I stopped being, I got into the cocktail waitressing industry for a while and nobody could really say anything if I was coming home late because I was working. And um, I never wanted to quit drinking, ever. Not even when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I never, like, they talk about switching from uh, scotch to brandy. I, it never entered my mind. I just wanted to drink to oblivion without puking or having a hangover. And before I got sober, I was starting to get to a place now where if I drink a 40, this is how classy I am, of uh, Old English and um, a, sh a kamikaze or a, a, one of those iced tea drinks, I can't remember what they're called. I could drink all those and not get sick. I felt like I was not compromising my dignity in any way, shape, or form. So, but what happened was I started to do those outside issues on a more regular basis about a year and a half before I got sober. And that interfered with my drinking. And uh, I still managed to drink on a daily basis. My kids would ask me why I drink and I'd say it just helps me relax. And uh, they didn't say much about it. but.
there was a lot more to it and I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, it's, I'm just drinking because I drink and nobody can tell me I can't drink. And if you want to tell me I can't drink, then don't come in my house. I had a four bedroom home and a little BMW and I lived in a cul-de-sac and I had really cute clothes that I stole from Nordstrom's. And uh, <laughs> I was so spiritually bankrupt, but I couldn't describe it then. It didn't matter who came to my home, what I had, what kind of cute shoes I was wearing, nothing was filling me and people couldn't see it. They're like, Tish, you have everything, but I'm so unhappy. I'm just, my companions are like, with all due respect to the, my quote unquote friends that I used to have, getting worse, like lower, lower, lower companions. I was at the point where I was letting people park their bikes, their motorcycles in my living room. Because they'd say, I need to hide my bike because I have some stuff in there and I'll give you some later, but I'm just going to keep it in the living room. Is that okay? Yeah. You know? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> While my kids are sleeping down the hall. One of the reasons why I got sober was not knowing what sobriety was, but wanting to change, was I wanted to, to try to make a change in my life before my kids could pick up on what I was doing. I didn't want them to be able to identify a propane tank um, or what a 40 was or why does mommy drink out of a bag or you know how come we only have top ramen and no toilet paper? How come the neighbor's cord is being plugged into our house so we can have electricity? My kids would not even get involved with the recycling programs at school <laughs> because everything was alcohol. And they're like, no, mom, we don't want to recycle. We're good, we're good. Because that's when <laughs> kids used to take the recyclables to school. And I was like, oh my god, they're going to get such kudos for all the cans they're bringing. They're like, we'll pass. Um, I just couldn't see what people could see. And a friend of mine that I used to drink with, um, we were usually the last two Mohicans standing after a good night of fun. And we would go for the beers that had cigarette butts. And so I would try to get the ones that had less butts, and he just didn't care. But that's where my drinking got me, was just literally taking butts out of the can and hiding alcohol in my toilet bowl and hiding other things around my house that I wasn't sure what I put them. You know when you find a really good spot for your stuff and then you can't find it? Um, that happened to me a lot. I forgot to mention I did have a really cute BMW and I never knew where it was because somebody was going to use it to go get something and come right back. Well, four days later, I still didn't have my car. I don't know how to get my kids to school. My kids were either really late to school or the last ones to be picked up. And I'm not sharing that because I'm proud of it, but that's basically how I hit a bottom. That incomprehensible demoralization, like how can I get to my kids' school? And they're the only kids left there. And I don't tell them that story, by the way. Um, my kids, I've never let them come listen to me talk. Because I don't really know what I'm going to say, but I don't want... My sponsor said, don't give children adult information. And I felt like I needed to tell my kids everything because I wanted to be transparent. I wanted them to know how much I love them. And I just, I want to do better, but I just can't. So that guy that we, you know, both looked for those cigarette butt beers that were left over at four in the morning got sober. And him and his wife came and got me. And I was actually in their wedding before any of us got sober. And I wasn't sure. I woke up in their room. I was like, 
What's going on here? After they got married? Like, what? Okay, what day is it? Where are my kids? Why am I in your room? And you guys just got married. It was a freaky situation. And I got out of there as quickly as I could. And then they stopped talking to me. And then finally they knew I was making these half-assed attempts at trying to get different. Because I didn't, I didn't know what the word sober meant. So I'd make a phone call at a pay phone to call Charter Oak Hospital. Dial it, busy tone, bye. Okay, I tried. You know, that was like the, the efforts that I was making. And some of the people that were still hanging out with me were starting to point out uh, the things that I was doing that were not very cool. Um, and it's so interesting when your friends tell you you're blowing it, you pay attention. But if your father is knocking at your door at 3 in the morning and say, please come out and let me know you're alive, you're like, what a jerk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's a big buzz killer. Uh, so they came and got me and to take me to the funny house. The last night before I got sober, I had gotten my room. The kids were sleeping. My mom was in her room. No nervous breakdowns that night. And I was just going to drink myself. My goal was to kill myself because I knew I had to quit drinking. And I was so mad. And I remember getting nestled in my room to do what I needed to do, and I gave God the finger, and I said, thank you for nothing. I was so mad that I had to quit drinking, and um, that's the next morning that my friends came and got me. They said, you need to go to the Plenty House, and I said, no. Yes, you're going. No, I'm not. Why? I don't have a suitcase. Go get her a suitcase. Um, okay, well, we need to go. I can't go. Why? Uh, Kristen needs a cantaloupe dish on Thursday for her kindergarten class. Why? Why? For the first time in my life, that day, none of my lies made sense. All my lies prior to that day, I could take to court and win. You know? Uh, it's like uh, Terry, Father Terry Ritchie is somebody that I really admire in this program. And he says that a lot of alcoholics have a defense attorney on retainer in their heads. And I really identified with that because I was like, go ahead, bring it. My lies became my truth. But that morning, they did not make sense. They just did not make sense. So they waited about seven hours. I finished everything I had in my house. They put me in their pickup truck and drove me to the plenty house. I didn't want to get out of the car. I just wanted to have one more drink. And they said no. And... Um, I walked through the doors of the house and there was a girl laying on the couch inside that house, that sober living, who I had been drinking and doing other things with like two weeks before and she just disappeared. I don't know where she went, but I knew she wasn't feeling well and I thought she had passed away, but she was actually getting sober. And so I'm, they opened the door to that house and I was like, Gina, and I stepped in to the house and I was like, that was it. My door, my body went through the door of that sober living, and I just knew in my heart right then and there, no one's going to watch my kids again like this. I'm not going to have this suitcase again. These dynamics, this whole thing will never happen for me again. But I did not believe in any way, shape, or form that you could go a day without drinking. And there were some girls in that house that gave me some hope, and... Um, I had a couple misdemeanors and these girls had felonies and they said, Tish, it's going to be fine. There's hope here. And I thought, well, if they have felonies and I only have misdemeanors and they have hope, then maybe there is. And so, you know, I started to go to meetings and what really attracted me to AA was the laughter. And for the first time, I walked through a door of a place and I felt like I was welcomed. People were happy to see me. I was getting hugs and that hadn't been happening for a couple years. 
Um, there was this guy that used to say, if no one's told you they love you today, I do. And I actually feel the same way. I'm so in awe of anyone that's trying to change their life and get in any recovery program. But Alcoholics Anonymous is the granddaddy of all the 12-step programs. This is where it's all at. So I got there, got a couple sponsors. They didn't work out, but each one of those ladies helped me understand some things about myself. I was going to drink like three weeks in at the Plenty House. I called the sponsor because I knew to call before you drink. She said, get your butt back to that house right now, and I did. I'm still here. The second sponsor, I was going to a wedding with all the people that I drank with and my children, and she said, I want you to go to that wedding and be an attraction to people that don't drink. And me, I took another girl from the sober living with me, and we were the last people to leave because we danced all night with all the kids at the wedding. It was so beautiful. And then I got my sponsor, Glenda. Um, I had a sponsor named Sue who passed away right after I did my inventory. I did step five, and then she passed away right before I was going to get into six and seven. So for many years, I would say I don't have any defects of character because <laughs> she was dying of cancer when I was doing my inventory work, and I was so honored that she was still willing to help me. Um, and she kept suggesting that I get another sponsor. I didn't want to. And she said, just do it, Tish. And she said, I need ask Glenda. So when Sue passed away, I was at her home. She died at home. I called Glenda and I said, Glenda, this is Tish. Um, Sue just passed and she asked, suggested that I asked you to be my sponsor. And Glenda said she'd be honored. And I was like, it's Tish? <laughs> uh, you know, at this time, I'm still trying to grow my eyebrows out, and I just stopped picking my face, and, you know, it's just a big wreck. And she sponsored so many beautiful women. And she took me in, and we did a lot of work. And Glenda didn't remember everything, but she always remembered the things that you wouldn't want to remember. Like, Tish, do you remember when you said, the truth is? I was like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> I just did a lot of work. And she died a few years ago of throat cancer. And one of the ladies she sponsored is now my sponsor. And Glenda's like just so dignified and composed and so elegant and so smart. And Judy is the same thing, but she makes a lot of facial expressions. So I could start telling her something and she'll be like, what? No. Uh-uh. You know? And so I read her really quick without having to do all the book reading and stuff like that. But basically what I'm getting at is that I'm here because I did everything I didn't want to do. I took contrary action. I started to believe in a God that I didn't want to believe in because I was embarrassed to talk about having a higher power because I didn't really know how a higher power worked. But you all taught me that God is everything, everything that is beautiful. God is kindness and love. And that's basically what I get to do here is carry the message like I'm doing right now, work with other women, try to be a good wife to my husband, and spoil our grandkids. Um, I'm recently resigned from work and I'm more busy now sponsoring women. I'm more busy now than I was when I had a full-time job and I'm not complaining. It is sometimes hard but um, it's a blessing. I've been given so many gifts. I, I wish I could have told you more of them but I'm just so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous and Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and the book and the traditions and all of it. I love it all. Conventions, the South Bay Roundup, we do whatever we can. But the one thing we do, when, even if we don't want to, is come do things like this. And thank you guys for letting me share.